When making friends, the cub who's wise is the cub who learns to compromise. Hello and welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bearcast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and today we are covering one of my favorite of all time Berenstain Bear books. It is not only one of my favorite stories, it also is one of the books that gives a lot of characterization and depth to Sister Bear, who up until now has kind of been on the sidelines, and it introduces a major player in the Berenstain Bears universe. Now, this being one of my favorite books, it might seem unusual that I actually forgot to cover it. It's from 1986, and as anyone who listens to the show knows, I'm well into 1987's books. I don't know how it slipped my mind. I don't know how it got off track. I don't know how I missed this book. But it is The Berenstain Bears and The Trouble with Friends, and I have brought onto the show today someone who can speak to the power of friendship and the power of the importance of developing friendships at a young age, particularly the friendships between two young girls. You may know her from her podcast, Stage of Fools, an unofficial Royals podcast, which uh, begins again in December. You may also know her from her many appearances on other podcasts, such as uh, the Sophomore Lit podcast, Loose Cannon podcast, or uh, the As If Clueless podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Chicago-based actor, Shannon Camp. Hello, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. I am so excited to be deep in bear country. (laughs) It's a delight (laughs) to have you on the show. Um, I really wanted to have you on for this book because uh, having uh, knowing you just from online and having talked to you uh, on other podcasts, actually, uh, I always get the sense that you're someone who deeply values uh, your friendships with other women. I would say that's absolutely true. My female friends have been some of the most important people in my life from a very young age, uh, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Uh, I mean, on just a day-to-day basis, I would say, I mean, I have plenty of friends who are men too, don't get me wrong, but uh, my female friends make me laugh a lot and uh, sort of bring all kinds of interesting perspectives into my life that I maybe hadn't thought about before. So uh, I really value that. And then on a larger scale, uh, they support me when times are tough and celebrate my victories. And it's hard to imagine life without my friends. And part of oh my a, gosh, I feel like I'm on the back of a babysitter's <laughs> club book. That's a whole <laughs> other podcast. It. That's a whole other podcast. So – Beyond the the strength that uh, friendships can bring to your life and the the, the, the the beautiful aspects of friendships, we also know that there are hard times when it comes to friendships, particularly close friendships. They're not always uh, sunny and easy. Sometimes the best friendships are the ones that have some of the rockier moments. Would you agree? Oh, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, there are exceptions to that rule. I would obviously never advocate for anyone staying in a toxic friendship and I think that 
too often we teach young girls that best friends really are forever and we might teach them how to break up with a boy but we don't teach them how to break up with a friend but I would also say that uh, some of the most important friendships in my life have definitely weathered many a storm and come out stronger on the other side. Well, I would say that learning to to get through some of those early friendship storms uh, can help you become more adept at uh, very like uh, romantic relationships later in life. Like it kind of can help you with those early first steps of of learning to deal with another person, even if it's not a friendship that lasts you know your entire life. It's those bumps in the road along the way that kind of teach you how to navigate uh, adult relationships. I agree. And I think that often when my friends and I disagree, um, it's because they're telling me things that I don't want to hear, but maybe they're <laughs> things that I need to hear. So I think sometimes we look back on those fights in retrospect and realize that we learned something about ourselves as well as the relationship. We learned maybe a hard truth sometimes, <laughs> uh, but you know, that's important too. You never want to be surrounded by yes men or yes bears yes bears you know, and uh, as it were <laughs> speaking of uh not being surrounded by yes bears uh I'd, I'd say that sister bear learns quite the lesson about herself in this book um what is what is your personal history with the berenstain bears if you even have one i cannot remember a time when i didn't know of the berenstain bears i know that we had a lot of their books, probably not all, just because there are so many, right. but we had a lot of their books in my home as a child. We went to the library a lot, and I definitely got and read even more there. We were really, really fond of um, The Trouble With, or no, not The Trouble With, um, Too Much Junk Food, The yes. Berenstain Bears and Too Much Junk Food. That was huge in our house for whatever reason, because yes. our mother already didn't let us eat junk food like we weren't learning a lesson it's because it's the one with the creepy cross section of the inside of one of the bears what strikes me uh as an adult when i look at these books i would say even more so than the wonderful winsome stories and the lovable characters is the drawing style is mm. so appealing to me um the drawing style is so energetic you know there are all these great curvy curly lines and these bold colors and the bears have such expressive faces and their eyebrows are always doing something interesting. And um, I think that's part of what makes them so appealing to read and look at over and over as you have these just detailed illustrations of this whole world to enjoy. Oh, quite definitely. Yeah, Stan and Jan were sticklers for detail, particularly still at this point in their career. Uh, they they love to just fill a page with with backgrounds and motion lines and everyone's always doing something in a picture. And they just make these style choices that are really interesting. Like I was really noticing the difference between the Berenstain Bears treehouse and Lizzie's family's treehouse in mm -hmm. this book. And I was really admiring Lizzie's like very chic sailor blouse under overalls with headband fashion ensemble. <laughs> I mean, she's still barefoot because they're all barefoot. They're all barefoot. <laughs> uh, but I was just like, I love, I feel like they costume designed this character. And that's something I had a real appreciation for uh, as someone who likes reading the books with kids and as someone who, uh, being a theater actor loves a good costume. Yes, when we get to those pages, uh, I do want to talk about 
the way they have costumed uh, the Bruin family as opposed to the Bear family. Um, but let's let's take a look at this book. Let's see what Please. what's going. On. I think there's there's more going on in this book than originally meets the eye. I think I think it's a it's a deeper, <laughs> if I can be so bold, uh, a, a deeper character study uh, about the siblings and their friendships than than the actual story uh, lets on. It, it it starts off actually examining the the relationship between brother and sister. Yes, which I also have a brother, not an older brother, a mm-hmm. younger brother. But um, my brother and I always joke that, like, if our life were freaks and geeks, he would be Lindsay and I would be Sam. Like, oh. <laughs> my younger brother was always very much the cool one to my, you know, loudmouth nerd. <laughs> right, right. I'm, I'm owning it. I'm owning it. <laughs> and uh, and brother and sister bear are are presented as later on in the books. They, in, in some ways, they kind of become just two sides of the same coin. Um, they get lost a little bit in the shuffle. But at this you point... You sound like you're talking about a Christopher Nolan movie. I just have to throw that out there. I think this They're very two seriously. sides of the same coin. Well, I mean, they, uh, they, they blend together a lot later on. They sort of yeah. just become... They're, they kind of become what Bart and Lisa Simpson were in the beginning of The Simpsons. Just kind of the same character, just gender switched. Um, yeah, that but, metaphor makes sense to me. But at this point, brother and sister, there's a lo- there's clear delineation between the two. They have uh, very distinct personalities, and um, sister bear, you know, sister bear and brother bear have been to this point portrayed as kids who are willing to play with each other. But brother's older, and he's he's pulling away a little bit. And I guess there's just no other kids nearby in bear country. It seems like they live in kind of a rural neighborhood, and I could see you know there being a lot of older bear couples out there you know maybe whose kids have grown up and moved on yeah yeah um they're a little far away from the center of town you know, sister goes to school but uh we we actually experienced that uh with uh with mitzi uh my five-year-old who you know she would go to her her day program in one city the city near where i work but none of those kids live near our house Mm-hmm. So she couldn't just step outside and, and go play with her friends. And I think Sister Bear is kind of having that problem. I mean, I, I I did not have that problem. I was surrounded by other children, but I can imagine how that would be hard because I did definitely – that neighborhood time is important. It is. It is. And, yeah, I grew up in a neighborhood with just kids everywhere. Like you just step out of the house and there's your friends. And it has to be a little isolating for her. Uh, we find out a little later on that – she, her father is more is just, her father fa- Papa Bear is very content to let her his daughter just continue playing with insects and uh, various things that crawl out of the pond. Um, they're all so friendly though. They all have cute smiley faces. They are friendly. <laughs> and sister looks shell shocked as she's jumping ropes <laughs> surrounded by butterflies and frogs. Like just lost, just soul soul searching. I'm looking at that illustration right now, and you're right. <laughs> just a, this thousand yard stare, as like she's skipping rope with a butterfly over her head and a frog desperately trying to uh, trying to join in. But she in asks, the other panel on that page, it looks like mother is either singing or like <laughs> doing a sermon about loneliness. Yes. They they knew how to capture those expressions on those bears' faces. <laughs> But uh, so she tries to get brother to uh, to play, have a tea party with her and her dolls. And uh, 
brother is willing to do it, but he's he he's sympathetic, but he feels like if word got out that he was playing Tea Party, he would get made fun of. I I mean. I really feel for sister and I totally was a sister growing up. But at the same time, I sympathize with brother because, you know, he wants to do his big boy things. He yeah. wants to ride his bike and his skateboard. And or he's as just he getting says, a little bit too old for that. He has a date to go skateboarding with Freddie. <laughs> with cousin Freddie. So he definitely didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I was like, I've never heard a child refer to it as I have a date to go skateboarding. Like, we always called them play dates, but we wouldn't call like going skateboarding a play date. A play date was when someone came over, when their mom drove them over to your house. I don't know. It's just, it's a weird turn of phrase. And then sister shouts, all right for you, which is an expression I've never heard, but I assume it's regional. I assume it's very quaint yeah. because it is. <laughs> yeah. That's all I have to say. You won't hear me say a word against the Berenstains. <laughs> and this is part where um, Papa and Mama Bear get worried because they see Sister stranded all alone. Her tiny little figure standing by the fence watching Brother as he looks like he's about to fly into the sunset on his skateboard. He looks like he's about to go full grease lightning and lift off. Yep, he jumps on that skateboard and he is gone, man. He's in a whole other zone. <laughs> Look at him go. He has a stern expression on his face, arms extended. Riding a skateboard is no one has ever ridden a skateboard in the See, history of the sport. To me, his face doesn't look stern. To me, it looks like he's smiling, like smirking, even full of triumph. <laughs> I got away from her. All right for me. Enhance. Enhance. Yes, I'm <laughs> zooming in on the illustration. So uh, the mama and papa bear have no idea what to do. They're, they are saved by... Uh, uh, moving van ex machina, which comes. <laughs> yeah, pulling, that was convenient. All of a middle of the conversation, all of a sudden, <laughs> someone's moving into this treehouse that we've never seen before in the history of these books. It's literally a block, a half a block away, and we've never seen this house in the in the entire bear bear country in any of the books. We've never given it is been a given any indication, and it is a castle. I feel like I couldn't even contain that sentence anymore. You were really beating around the bush. It's a castle. A castle appears as if by magic from the mist. <laughs> this is the house. It only appears once every hundred years. It's a horrible curse placed on it. If no one, if no one makes friends with the little girl inside, it will disappear again at come, come nightfall. Um, so there's this house across the street. <laughs> mysterious, uh, spooky looking. It's got turrets and... It's a big house. I mean, you know, for bear country, it's pretty fancy looking. I don't know. Those turrets look like they would fit one bear standing up with no extra room. But so <laughs> like does the walling so, in a sim. But so does the bear family house. Like, if you look at it from the outside, it looks like maybe it could hold like a sitting room. But then you look at it's it from like the a real, inside. It's real Harry Potter situation. It's so Harry Potter. It's like a bag of holding. It's Mary Poppins' <laughs> bag. Like you step inside it, and there's like a, it's Snoopy's doghouse. Like it's just it's the it goes on forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. You know what? I accept it. I accept it. So I bet like one of those one of those little sh foreshortened trunks is like a, a ballroom. <laughs> yep. It's just with a vaulted ceiling. Because yeah, there's one that's just yeah. It's about a it's about as big around as a bear. It's got stairs leading up to it and a door the size of like the extension itself. Like if you if you that's walked the outhouse. Yeah. If you walked into <laughs> it, you'd have like two feet to walk, and then it looks <laughs> that's like just. That's a fake turret. There's just a drop down. That's to keep out intruders. It must be because it's connected <laughs> to the house. 
but the it looks like the hallway leading to the house isn't even as tall as a bear, so it must go down. Like it has to go down. Like there must be another. Like you must walk up the stairs and then immediately walk down another flight of stairs. <laughs> but then look at um. Okay, so look at the window, and I'm using window in heavy air quotes next to that little turret to the left of it that's red on top and red on bottom. Yeah, that looks like a little glass elevator that would go up and down the side because it's like a window, but mm-hmm. it completely. I guess it's supposed to be a bay window. It's supposed it to be. Completely yeah, completely sticks out from the house. I'm it, gonna. To me, it looks like a little elevator. I'm going to assume it was meant to be a bay window, but I'll yeah. I will accept your I will accept your idea. Like I will put that into effect that this that what we're seeing is the top of the house. When you go inside, oh. either from the side door or from the front door, you are presented with a house that extends upward, but that's like attic area. Uh, the 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 main body of the house lies below the ground, and that bay window may actually function as a uh, uh, an elevator. Like, maybe it was built as a service elevator. Yeah, that makes complete sense. I think we really figured that one out. So the Berenstein Bears house is basically what I imagine the tree equivalent of a farmhouse to be, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, yeah. And then Lizzie Bruin lives in what is, whether or not you subscribe to our subterranean theory, she lives in a gothic castle tree. Yeah. <laughs> And and you are given uh, clues later on in the in the book series that the Bruins do have money. Like they are, they're not rich, but they are in a different tax bracket than the Bear family. So let's look at this. Uh, let's look at this. <laughs> let's turn the page and we see we see the Bruins for the first time um, as Sister Bear skips rope across the street, and we see uh, we see Mister Bruin and Ms. Bruin and a cub about Sister's age. Little Lizzie Bruin. How did you describe her outfit? I like her little green sailor blouse. You can tell it's a sailor blouse because of like the cape collar that it has. Yes. Like those, that rectangular collar. I don't know what it's called. That goes back over the overalls. And I like her headband. She almost has like a little like Audrey Hepburn mm-hmm. hairdo going on with that headband. Very gamine. So I really <laughs> like their whole family's ensembles. They're a little more European than the yes. Bernstein Bears. That's what I was looking for. There was... There was something a little less uh, rural American about them, but it wasn't quite like city. Well, for one thing, um, Mrs. Bruin isn't wearing her pajamas like Mama Bear does every day because she has. We don't like to talk about Mama Bear's pajamas issue, you know? It's just she's doing what works for her. She's got a lot on her plate right now. She understands it's important Uh, to be comfortable. But Mrs. Bruin is wearing a very nice, like, pencil skirt. With a matching sweater and beret set. Pretty adventurous choice. Even more adventurous, Mr. Bruin has one of those little German hats with a little feather in it. It is a German hat. And that's what I think. That's the that's the key thing, in my opinion, that makes them look continental. Yes. It's just that feather. It all comes down to that feather. Yeah. And he's got patches on the elbows of his jacket. They both wear spectacles. Yep. And uh, I'm going to, I mean. And I'm calling them spectacles instead of glasses because they're wearing spectacles. Yes. These are people who pay attention to the world. And so uh, uh, Sister and Lizzie, they they meet. They instantly form a something of a bond. Uh, and we learn that Lizzie's a little bit of a show-off. Yeah, that's true. She can jump rope really fast and she makes no secret of that. And the girls sort of compete back and forth about who can 
jump rope the most and the longest and then they end up racing and playing on the playground and they end up having a good time together after what starts as a competition they take turns pushing each other on the swings and then they uh, i think they end the day by picking flowers for their moms yeah yes yeah you see this little friendship form uh they in a couple of shots you see just like when uh, when lizzie's running to the playground she has this like sort of mischievous look on her face while Sister Bear has a bit of a worried expression, it's it's her first like it's her first um taste of young friendship and you get the sense that she's still kind of trying to feel out how to play with this kid. Did you have any friends uh who were at all like Lizzie? Like just sort of came across as immediately very like forward and um I don't want to say aggressive, but they just they kind of dominated the friendship right away. That made me really nervous. I did not do well with that personality type as a kid. I actually still don't. Uh, I was probably, I mean, I was like sister in the sense that I could be a little bossy. I definitely wasn't competitive. I had no interest in sports or even in winning games or anything like that. But I would say that I was the more, probably the more dominant one in the friendship, usually just by virtue of having a lot of ideas. Uh But I mean, for me, it's impossible to separate this story from my friendship with my friend Ellie, who's my friend to this day, but when we met, we were five years old, uh-huh. I would say, and I think that my relationship with Ellie was probably my first real relationship <coughs> that, you know, came about because of our personalities, you know? Oh. Ellie wasn't my friend because she was my cousin or my sibling or because she was a family friend who had to play with me, like we genuinely gravitated towards each other in kindergarten and we remain friends to this day. So I think that is sort of probably a little bit what sister is experiencing here. You know, this is a chance to build a relationship based on her own personality and her own merits and how that matches up with someone else's personality as opposed to a friendship that's, you know, manufactured either by circumstance or by a parent setting it up, which is a very, it's a very profound experience. It's like, a, it's a type of human connection that you haven't ever really um, had a chance to dabble in before. I totally agree, and I think it stands in, and this is one of those things that I hadn't really noticed until I started really looking at the book, it stands in marked contrast to Brother Bear's best friend, who is his cousin. Uh, yes. Because Freddy is the cousin of of the Bears, uh, of the Bear Cubs, and will remain Brother Bear's closest friend and confidant throughout the entire series. And uh, although Brother, you know, does make a few peripheral friends, Sister Bear is the one who goes out and finds herself friends. And actually, I think, I believe Sister Bear may end up having more named friends in the series proper than Brother Bear does. Well, they they spend the day, like you said, they, they play on the playground, good old playgrounds. They pick flowers for their mamas, as it says. And uh, Mama Bear seems pleased that Sister's found a friend, and you you get the first hint of trepidation from Sister. She says two times that Lizzie is a little bossy. Yeah, she which says, is oh, so cute. It's such a little kid way of, you know, trying to tell an adult. Oh, Yeah, 
And then because she says she's a little bossy, and the mom says, oh, well, you seem to be having fun. And she's like, yeah, we had a lot of fun. A little bossy and a little braggy. <laughs> like, she repeats it, like, just to sort of drive it home. Like, I don't want you to – I'm trying to tell you something. Like, there's something yeah. I'm a little uncomfortable with about this little bear. I think Mama is smart in letting it play out. I agree. I don't – In I mean, as someone who's a regular caregiver of children – you never want to helicopter in the kids' relationships unless there's a real problem, like someone is being, you know, bullied or physically hurt. Yeah, Alana and I have this, uh, uh, the, the way we refer to it, we, we, we sometimes refer to it as like 1970s parenting, but <sighs> it's, uh, we, sometimes we actually do refer to it as like Berenstain Bear parenting. It's the, you just gotta sometimes just let the kids go off and do their, you just gotta let them do their yeah. own thing. Like, it's so true. And just intervene when, when you need to intervene, like when things are dangerous or – but like it, it, a lot of Pick times – it A lot of times it applies to like going to the doctor and going to the – and going to do unpleasant things. There's – in the Berenstain Bears universe, there's not a whole lot of prep. There's like, hey, where are we going, mama? We're going to the doctor. And then you're there. <laughs> it's there's not, a, there's not a whole lot of like hand-holding and, and it's that whole like, yeah, like once upon a time – you just took your kid, like you just you made your kid go do a thing, and there wasn't a like yeah. a lot of discussion about it. Um, and there is something to be said, I believe, for that. Like in in trying to prepare our children for every eventuality, we sometimes just build up anxiety, and uh, by making things more important than they actually are. But I also think that when a parent tries to intervene in a child's friendships. Or a, like, sibling argument, many times they end up making it worse. Because, like, if I see my two oldest kids that I take care of who are 11 and 8 years old fighting with each other and, like, it doesn't seem like anyone's getting hurt or anyone's being aggressively attacked, if I go in and I try to sort the situation out for them, not only do they not learn those problem-solving skills, but um, they're going to perceive me you know, not having heard the full story. They're going to, one person might think I'm picking favorites. Mm -hmm. It's only going to make them resent each other more. It's not going to solve the problem. Right, right. Well, we are about to see a physical attack in just a matter of pages. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I was a little bit surprised by this when I read it through for the, again these, for the first time. These are very physical books at times. Uh, and it's one of the it things I... It was a different I, time. Well, and it's one of the things I actually enjoy about the way the, they approach the characters is brother and sister Bear and their friends are kids. They are kids. They can be little jerks. They can be whiny. They can be unpleasant Like you're as main characters. It's something that the, uh, the, the 1980s cartoon did rather well and that the 2000s cartoon did very poorly I think the 2000s yeah. cartoon softened the characters so much it made everything very pleasant and I think colored a lot of people's opinions and memories of what the bear family were like uh, still in the 80s the bear cubs are they they are quick to anger they will fight with their friends they will scream and yell and throw tantrums just like real kids do we forget that kids learn by seeing other kids learn and we think that kids are going to learn better by seeing perfect examples. And that's mm -hmm. not true. Like if you see a kid learn from their mistakes, that's a lot more compelling than watching a kid make the right choice every time. 
Um, but getting back to a certain bear family. Please, uh, please, is, let's. There, there are two quite imperfect little cubs about to have a uh, confrontation here. Uh, Sister Bear has a wheelbarrow full of fun. Uh, heading out of her house with all of her favorite dolls and stuffed animals, including her favorite teddy bear, because Lizzie Bruin has called on the rotary dial telephone saying, want to come over and play school? Uh, since the castle, the, the Bruin household is still being worked on as the parents move in, they're playing out in the garage, which is like, uh, not like a, it's a, it's an old fashioned Garage doesn't have the up and down door. It has two doors that uh, open like uh, bar, um, barn doors. Uh, it's a kind of a shed. Like, it looks more like a utility shed to me than a garage, but it's completely empty anyway. And Lizzie has set up quite the uh, quite the schoolroom for the stuffed animals. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I wasn't so much into playing teacher. I was more into playing house. Mm-hmm. But uh, I love this. I think this is such an important part of childhood is the pretend play aspect. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can get behind a good game of teacher any day of the week. Yeah. Well, so can both of the Cubs. Unfortunately, they each have a different idea of how this game is supposed to be played. Um, Lizzie immediately takes the role of teacher and attempts to treat uh, Sister Bear as if she were a kindergarten student. Sister Bear is not having any of that and wants to be teacher herself, and they get into a literal brawl. I want to say in Sister's defense, question mark, that it's not just that Lizzie takes over the role of teacher and wants Sister to be the student. It's things like she's teaching her ABCs and Sister is very defensive. I know my ABCs. And like... I remember being a little girl and feeling, you know, pretty protective of the things that I knew and really valuing feeling smart and how heartbreaking it would have been if a friend of mine had thought that I didn't know how to count or I didn't know my ABCs or something like that. So I I mean, I'm not saying that either the girl does the right thing or that sister's in the right to, you know, escalate it to a physical confrontation, but I can understand why she's as upset as she is. Oh, I totally agree. And I think that Lizzie is, has shown signs throughout the whole book. Uh, She seems to be, She's obviously she's meeting a new kid. She's in a new place. She's uncomfortable. She doesn't know anyone. And it seems like she tends to default to just trying to dominate uh, a situation, dominate a relationship by by showing off, by showing her skills and by in this case, by somewhat demeaning sister. Um, It backfires on her. And I think that this book is as much about Lizzie learning the ins and outs of friendship as it is about sister. I yeah, I completely I completely agree with you. Uh, this is slightly off topic, but I don't know when it will come up in the story again. And it was something I was thinking about based on a question that you asked me before the podcast recording. And I was thinking about the schoolroom and the pretend play. Um, you asked me how my early female friendships might have affected relationships later in my life. And I sort of started thinking, you know, like you brought up um, how my early friendships or my friendship with Ellie might have affected my romantic relationships today as an adult. And I couldn't really think of any connections that stood out to me. But what I did think about was... um, 
Ellie was my first creative collaborator because we had these elaborate make-believe games that would stretch out over days and weeks and months with ongoing storylines and we would write out parts of them. We had a whole imaginary kingdom that was like Narnia called Doll Paradise and we had like written out laws for it um, and printed them out from the computer. We had like this complete other world that we lived in that was just the two of us and so I think that and then this is something I was just realizing the other day when I was thinking about it I think in so many ways she was like my first acting scene partner and my first writing partner because we would come up with these incredibly elaborate scenarios and then we would be so immersed in them that I mean, I would lay awake, like, thinking about the storylines that we were playing out. Wow. And this is from a very, very young age. And does that relationship continue to this day? Not in the same way, because we're separated by distance. We keep in touch. We always see each other when she's in town, because she uh, works out of state since graduating from school. And, I mean, she feels like family. We can always completely pick up where we left off and... We have a bunch of inside jokes and all of that. I don't know that we could ever totally recapture our experience as children just because children can immerse themselves in this world of imagination and make it feel real in a way that I don't know that adults can. But to us, I mean, Ellie had this little... It wasn't even a closet. It was like a cabinet in her room. She lived in an old house and underneath one of the eaves in her room, there was this little tiny like mm, crawl space closet and the two of us would crawl into there. We were so tiny and sit in there with all our dolls and shut the door behind us and just be talking, talking that we were, you know, we were growing up in the Great Depression or we were hiding from the Nazis or we were helping slaves escape on the Underground Railroad, you know, whatever it was. But we really weren't actually moving around. We were just yeah. sitting in a cabinet. So those are probably some of my fondest memories from childhood, just being huddled in that little dark, <laughs> that little dark hole. But it could be whatever we wanted it to be. Well, Sister and Lizzie are certainly engaging in creative play. Um, I mean, I mean, for a bit, I mean, do you want to describe this fight? First, they pretty much get up in each other's faces because Lizzie's keeping up the teacher role play. Like she's like, if you don't sit down, I'm going to keep you after school. And then sisters has a very sassy comeback. Well, if you don't give me that pointer, I'm going to keep you after school and snatches it. And they end up rolling around on the floor and in the struggle the pointer gets broken and lizzie says you broke my best pointer which was funny to me because that implies that she has multiple pointers and she is a small child who is probably gonna poke i'm like the mom from a christmas story you'll poke your eye out i would never let my kid have one of those i'm gonna agree i'm gonna believe that she just went out into the woods and just got the (laughs) best sticks but this is it's a quality switch (laughs) it's a quality stick it's yeah it's it's like harry potter wand quality that's what i would have used it for as a kid i would have had no interest in using it as a pointer but absolutely as a wand but it's not just it says soon they were rolling around on the floor wrestling for the pointer but Sister is on top of Lizzie. Lizzie has her legs around Sister's waist and is pushing Sister's head back with her, like, her hand. Like, yeah. Like, she has her hand cupped under Sister's chin and she's pushing her head as Sister grabs the pointer and snaps it in half. It's 
an incredibly aggressive looking fight. Yeah, it's a rough image. Sister's teeth are like bared and clenched. Both of them are teeth out, brows furrowed. Yeah. It's pretty wild. It definitely shows the bears. I was just going to say, you're you're suddenly like, oh, they're bears. Yeah. But it's the kind of fight that if I saw my kid engaged in, I would stop this fight. Absolutely. Like, this is, this Absolutely. Is, I was like, oh, good. This is this is not good. Like this is something bad is going to happen in in this fight. Fortunately, the the breaking of the stick uh, sort of takes them out of it. Sister gathers up all of her toys and says, I'm going to take my dolls and go home. Lizzie says, I don't know if this is the first. I, I, I don't think it is. It's one of the first rhyming taunts that the Berenstain Bears that are in a Berenstain Bear book. I, there might have been one earlier, but the uh, the the notion that when kids yell at each other in bear country, they yell in rhyme is something that comes up again and again and again. When the bullies taunt kids, it's always in these little rhyming couplets, and Lizzie yells... <laughs> How Shakespearean. Lizzie yells, Sister's mad and I'm glad. Or Lizzie yells, sister's mad and I'm glad. And sister yells back, Lizzie, Lizzie in a tizzy. And that's how you know things have gotten real is when the bears start rhyming at each other. I'm of two minds on this. Because on the one hand, when children are fighting in real life, they don't rhyme at each other like they're in a (laughs) rap battle. Uh, I mean, this isn't cabinet battle number two, so I don't totally understand. But on the other hand, when I think about it, there are a lot of rhyming taunts in the world of childhood but like not creative ones based on your friends names unless their name (laughs) rhymed with something you know stupid it would be more like ones that every kid knew you like i am rubber and you are glue whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you yeah and other like rhyming stuff like that but it was like they were a couple of colloquial phrases that we all knew we weren't like riffing on each other's names in our original diss tracks yeah Well, sisters mad and I'm glad can you can you can slot any name into that one. Yeah. Like that's a that's a good that's a good that's a good one to keep in your pocket by the way. Just next time you get in a fight with anyone. But then what if they come back with I am rubber and you are glue whatever say bounce off means sticks to you and then all of a sudden I'm mad and they're glad. Oh, that's the worst. Playing with fire. <laughs> well, sister gets home and she rants and raves. Uh, about this picture how, is hilarious. Yeah, she has her arms full of dolls, and she is stomping into the house with this ferocious look on her face. Um, and she says that she's never going to play with Lizzie again. She's too braggy and bossy. She doesn't need her. She's, it's better to play by yourself. When you can play by yourself, you do what you want, and you don't have to worry about that Lizzie Bruin. And <laughs> Mama, okay, this is the part of the book that I kind of have a problem with. Yeah, I wanted to talk about this too. Because the lesson like... suddenly switches. The, the, the poem at the beginning makes you think this is going to be a book about compromise. And Mama's lesson is more, hey, it's kind of it's better to play with a jerk than to be all by yourself. Yeah, I don't think that Mama ever really teaches her that it's okay to stand up for yourself if someone is being unfair to you, which is something that I'm definitely trying to talk to the kids I take care of about. Right. 
a good a good <laughs> skill to learn is to say to Liz, to the Lizzie Bruins of the world, "Hey, I get that you want to be the teacher." Let's if you want to be the teacher, that's cool. It's your house. I would like to be the teacher in a few minutes. Can yeah, we take or turns? Like, you or can, take first period, I'll take second period. Right. Or can we both <laughs> be teachers and these can be our students? Yeah, you know, there's like tons of stuffed animals. Yeah. And so like to me that's compromise. Like that's that's learning the art of 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 each of you getting kind of what you want. But I have to talk about the illustration on the page where Mama and Sister are imagining <laughs> all the activities. Are you going to talk about the look on Sister's face? face? It's unreadable. I don't know what they were going for. So what Sister is saying is, like what? That's Sister's only line on the page. So we have to assume that she's saying, like what? And her mouth is open because it's in the uh of what? But what she looks like is the look on the reindeer's faces whenever Rudolph's noise makes that annoying noise yeah. in the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation special, like how their pupils get all tiny in their white eyes and yes. they look like blinded by rage and confusion. Her, her, ma- her mouth is doing something a bear's mouth <laughs> has never done in these books. It's become it's this like... a like, giant lemon face. And her eyes, she is just <laughs> stunned. Her pupils are just fixed and pointed. <laughs> She's thinking about playing with Liz. It. Mama is like, think about playing with your friend. And it looks like if they, if you took the the words out of the scene and replaced them with like, someone reached inside sister and pulled her soul out of her mouth. Like that's that's what the picture looks like. If you look at it, including the Lizzie and sister montage but without the text it looks like sister is putting together the clues that lizzie was the murderer (laughs) (laughs) she's like remembering a montage of all their time together it's it's like the end of her it's the end of the usual suspects she's like wait a minute the swing the seesaw the hopscotch the jacks it was lizzie it was lizzie the whole time or Lizzie, she's realizing Lizzie was never there. Lizzie is her alternative personality. Right, right. The next page should be the same image except with Lizzie taken out of every shot. But look at the next page. There's a door with what's supposed to be a knock. So, like, lines are coming out of the door. But it looks yeah. like something just poofed into nothingness in front of the door. <laughs> like, as soon as she realized Lizzie wasn't real, Lizzie disappeared. Like, I'll be back. Like, so, so now we're entering, okay... The delightful world, and I'm gonna play with this. So stay with me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna propose. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just let's play with the notion that Lizzie doesn't exist. Please that, take me down this rabbit hole. That sister ran across the street to the to this couple's house and wanted so bad for there to be a kid that she made up an imaginary friend, like. We never see Lizzie's parents interacting with her. We only and they see... actually look like they're from the past. They look kind of like they're fashioned. They clothes. look like an older couple. They've got a nice house. They're moving into this house, but there's this little girl comes across the street and is just playing in their yard. And they're like, "Okay, you know, it's our it's a new neighborhood. We're not going to like yell at the neighbor kid." They don't even interact with her because the girls play in the shed and we don't see Lizzie's mother saying hi or even looking at them. Sister Bear goes across the street with her wheelbarrow full of toys, (gasps) goes into their shed. 
they're just uh, Mrs. Phil. Bruin is sweeping out the house, and it's just like uh, I guess the little neighbor girl probably plays in that shed. In the panel with Sister Bear meeting the Bruins, the Bruins are looking at Sister. In the other panel, they're looking yep. at the movers. No one ever looks at Lizzie besides Sister. Yep. And Mama Bear is like, I'm going to play along with this, like, because Sister is lonely. And, <laughs> and... At this point, she's like, think about what it's like to not have someone there. Think about what it's like to do all this stuff by yourself. And Oh, my God, Phil, you're actually freaking me out. And that's what that look on Sister's face is. It's the, it's the moment where she's on the cusp of a revelation. She can go either way. And... What you're seeing, what you're seeing on the door, is is that is the the possibility of sister accepting that there's no Lizzie disappearing. It's her not snapping out of it. It's her popping back into her fantasy world. She has to accept it to survive. You know, like that's what she needs to cope. Right, because Mama is supporting that. Mama's like, what's there's one thing you can do much better by yourself. What's that, Mama? Be lonesome. And then there's a knock on the door. That also explains uh, <gasps> the moving van. The moving pulling van up. suddenly pulling up. Like this is all coming together, and Lizzie just shows up. I think your mandala theory people are really <laughs> gonna like this episode. <clears throat> so there's Lizzie. Sister forgot her bear. Quote unquote, the one that she slept with since she was a baby. Since she was a baby, and Lizzie brings it back, and there's a bit of a makeup between the two of them. It's that kid thing, you know, getting back to the actual story at hand. It's that kid thing where conflict doesn't last very long. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, they're willing to give it a shot again. Um, assuming that Lizzie Bruin is an actual living being, uh... The the big change, I think, happened on Lizzie's end, because sister yeah. sister didn't have to do anything. But Lizzie never apologizes. But she did in that kid way, like she I guess so. she made the move. I guess I don't really blame Lizzie honestly for how the situation got s- sorted. I my issues with Mama Bear. Yeah. Yes. So uh, all joking aside. <laughs> Mama Bear basically says, I'm sorry you guys punched each other, but she's the only cub around, and you're going to be a lot lonelier if you're not playing with this kid. That's kind of chilling. It's weird. It's a weird lesson. It's, it's, not, it's not, let's talk about how you guys can maybe get along better, or like let's think about things from Lizzie's point of view. It's... You should just play with her. Like, you you don't have much of a choice. I don't even know, really, what to say about that <laughs> one. And it's it's something that I notice in a few of these Berenstain Bear books, it, it, especially the more popular ones, like this one and, like, uh, the, cup, the Clubhouse one and the Strangers one, which is they're trying to do two things that aren't necessarily complementary. They're trying to make two separate points, 
that kind of cancel each other out. The lesson gets muddied by Mama taking this sharp turn into, is it about compromise or is it about loneliness? And <laughs> those are two separate books. This is like revolutionary road now. Compromise, <laughs> loneliness, relationships. Do I stay with my abuser? Um, no, I agree. I think what is happening is they're trying to be even-handed and, you know, show, quote-unquote, both sides of the story. Uh-huh. But when you're trying to teach a story with a moral to a kid and a, the story has to be fairly short and simple, you know, it's not like John Steinbeck's East of Eden, we have all these different plot lines running right. through it, uh, then I don't know that it that device totally works. Although I suppose there's something noble in the attempt. Yes, and I guess I guess where it all falls apart for me though is the fact that the opening couplet is sp- explicitly about, or the opening poem is explicitly about compromise. Yeah, and, I agree with that. And we don't actually see compromise occur in this book. The sister says we can take turns being teacher, and Lizzie says great, and then they run off to play, but you don't actually see it in action. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously, they end up becoming friends. It all works out. But when I've read this book to my kids, I've kind of had to, like, go back and say, all right, well, let's talk about how this could have played out better. Like, what could Sister Bear have done? What could Lizzie have done instead that could have, you know, avoided this whole fight in the first place? Like, what, what... what different approaches could the Cubs take if they both wanted to be the teacher in the first place? I agree, but I and I think it's also it's pretty easy for kids to see that there is a problem in the story, you know. I'm sure it's this way with your children too. Kids are obsessed with fairness, with yes. things being fair and even, and kids are very good at picking up on when something isn't exactly equal. I won't even say fair because we both know that fair doesn't always mean exactly equal. Oh, of course not. Children can perceive when anything is the slightest bit unequal. So I don't doubt that um, if I were to read this one to any of my little guys that they would immediately pick up on the unfairness towards sister, uh, mm. which I also perceive. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess you're, I mean, you are right in that like kids don't need everything spelled out for them. Uh, and sometimes it helps just to see a conflict occur, and then they can kind of come up with their own ideas in private. I mean, I think you're doing the right thing. I think it's worth telling kids that um, they deserve to be heard. They deserve to have their feelings heard by their friends, um, that it's okay to stick up for yourself if you feel like you're being treated unfairly and all that stuff. So I don't think there's anything wrong with having that conversation uh, I just also think that children aren't being hoodwinked in any way by this story um, just because they're so keenly aware of, like, taking turns from such a young age. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, wrapping uh, up the discussion of the plot itself and the book itself, um, I, I'm I'm a fan of this book. I like this book a lot. Uh, I think it does a, it does a good job of... I think it takes a bold move in introducing uh, a regular character in a somewhat negative light uh, because that's that's the story. That's the that's the that's the kid. That's the way friendships work sometimes is things don't always get off on the on the best. You know, we don't always put our best foot forward. Absolutely. I think it's it's brave of Stan and Jan Berenstain to show their characters in 
in a negative light, to show Sister Bear get into fights, to show Lizzie uh, be bossy and be unpleasant, and to show the parents not intervening in everything, to 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 show that uh, kids can work it out. Like kids have a lot more uh, social abilities. Uh, then we sometimes give them credit for. Obviously, if there's dangers involved, we should step in. Or if there's an extreme imbalance of power um, where it starts becoming bullying, then, you know, we need to step in. But uh, I give this book, a you know, a big recommendation. I enjoy it. My my kids have enjoyed reading it. And uh, I think it belongs on the on the Berenstain Bear bookshelf. What do you what say you? I also really love this book. Um I think that I agree with everything you said about Lizzie being introduced in like sort of an unlikable, less than flattering way and that being interesting. And I also think it's uh, not only do I enjoy child characters being less than perfect because actual children aren't perfect little angels as Uh fiction will often portray them to be. But I also think because Lizzie and sister are so little that it's very easy to forgive Lizzie for her sins because she's still figuring things out. So uh, like you, I really enjoy that the takeaway seems to be that Lizzie is the one who perhaps more so than sister learns a lesson. And I think uh, the whole exchange at the end between them bringing back sister special teddy bear is really incredibly sweet. So because I had such a positive, you know, best friendship uh, with my friend Ellie growing up, that's totally what this book conjures up. And I think I have an immense fondness for it on that level. Uh, but it's also really entertaining. Uh, highly recommend. Definitely up high on the list of Berenstein Bears books for me. Incredible. Well, Shannon, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, so thank you so much for joining me this week. Oh, thank you, Phil. I mean, as you could tell from uh, how long we ran, I clearly have a lot to say about children's literature. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. Um, Where might our listeners be able to find you? Uh, You can find all of my various podcast guest appearances, my regular podcast, as well as all my various acting and writing projects on my website, which is shannon-camp.com. That's camp like my last name, C-A-M-P-E. Wonderful. Uh, As far as this show goes, you can find us uh, at berenstainbearcast.wordpress.com. We are on Twitter at bstainbearcast iTunes, Stitcher, the usual mess. If you ever want to get around to giving us a rating or a review, I'd always appreciate it. But uh, I want everyone to just keep on listening. We're going to come back next week with more Berenstain Bear goodness. We're going to be back with more books, with more collectibles, with more animated episodes. We are going to be covering, fingers crossed, we're going to be covering some of the theatrical performances the recordings, the songs, the musicals. There's so much more bear stuff down that sunny dirt road. So uh, once again, thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Phil. It was so much fun to be here. And we will see everybody else next time deep in bear country.